From the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield and Adam Hill, only on ESPN Las Vegas. Five o'clock hours here. If you missed any of the show to this point, you can go up to lvsportsnetwork.com, check out the archives of Cofield and Company after six o'clock. Uh, earlier, we updated you on UNLV basketball and where some of the players who are leaving UNLV are landing. We also had a quick conversation from a Saturday that we played some updates from Marcus Arroyo, the football coach, and uh, talked about the transfer portal and maybe a guy who uh, we thought was going to be leaving the program, potentially returning in the case of Ty Lee Collins. Big five time. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five, number five. So we got Von Tobel all fired up. Uh, your buddy Case Keeper, I like Case too, from the Las Vegas Sun, all jacked up. A lot of excitement. Anyone who took the long shot on Hideki Matsuyama, 50 to 1. Uh, in faraway places, as good as 55 to 1. That was a pretty damn exciting Sunday at the Masters. You called it boring. What's your problem? I mean, we had like 30 seconds of drama. That's about it. I mean, going into the day. You just got out to too big a lead. Yeah, Matsuyama had a big lead. It it was right out of the rain delay, actually, on Saturday is where it really started to get boring because he just really surged right there, took the four-shot lead, and then you go into Sunday saying, okay, this isn't over. He's still got, there's still a chance to feel could catch him. He could struggle a little bit. Maybe somebody passes him. Maybe we get even at some point, and, you know, there's kind of a race. But it just didn't happen. And anytime somebody got somewhat close, either they made a mistake or Matsuyama did something well and never really got close. Now, you could look at the final margin and say, he only won by one shot. Okay, fine. But he went into the hole knowing he could, you know, he, he had a shot to play with. And, it, you know, he was able to two-putt and, and get home as JVT just talked just talked about. It just didn't have that drama. And the one time we had a chance was uh, Xander Shoffley getting really close, and the number came way down. Actually, as I said, I was really just watching this on live betting, and the number came way down. And all of a sudden, it went from like like all day it was like minus seven hundred, minus eight hundred, minus a thousand. You know, a big number. All of a sudden, it got down to like minus two dollars, and you're like, "Whoa, we have, we have," and then literally, my phone updated and went to like minus six thousand, and I was like, "What happened? What on earth just happened?" And Shoffley just collapsed when he when he had made it close. And that was it. That was the, that was the whole drama of the day. It was just like the the thirty seconds between the green and the tee, where the whole day fell apart for Shoffley. Was there, was there also a uh, barrier broken by Matt Suzaka? Uh, Matsuyama? First, first for, did I say oh, Matt Suzaka? Oh. I wrote down Matt yeah, because, Suzaka. I know. Because as soon my, as I said my it, phone. Yeah. As soon as I said it, I was like, auto-corrected it. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, my phone autocorrected it to you, and then I sent it, and then yeah. you copied and pasted my autocorrecting spelling. Oh, yeah. that was that's, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. That's right. And then I just read it. I'm like uh, Ron Burgundy. Go blank yourself, Las Vegas. If you write that in a future uh, note section, yeah. I'll, just, I'll put it out right on the air. Uh, Matsuyama, first Japanese champion. Yeah, that's a very cool moment for him, for for the nation too. I know there was a lot of, um, you know, a lot of people very inspired by that and talking about it. And uh, I know the the sports pride of Japan is definitely a thing. I know when uh, Matsuyama was talking the other day about some of his sports heroes, 
he was talking about guys like Shohei Otani uh, and just other you know fellow Japanese athletes that have been able to to you know cross over and uh, make Hideki it uh, I'm sure who's on there. You don't know that for a fact. I mean, it's not like you know an American wins abroad. You just assume that you know they like other this American and that American. Kind well, of so- part of any Japanese crossover athlete, maybe maybe Matsuyama was turned off by the fact that it you know came out eventually that Matsui was like a giant porn addict. Possibly, but I, I think the the point of this being there's so many Americans that are successful in, in American sports. It's the you know the rare Japanese athlete that's able to cross over and make it yeah. successfully. And what I was saying is I saw his list of sports heroes was all Japanese athletes that have made it big in America. So it kind of makes makes some sense that a lot of those guys like, are on the list. I feel like your move, because uh, you're the king of the awkward, your move would, to pick, would be to pick like the one Japanese crossover to America where he'd be like, no, not him. And there'd be some story behind it like, hey, you must have loved Ichiro. And then he has a story like, no, he treated me like a jerk when I was eight. Yeah. He wouldn't give me an autograph. And you're like, oh, okay, well, oops. I mean... I got to tell you that in his on his list of Japanese athletes who have made it uh, successfully, the fact that Kobayashi wasn't on there was infuriating. Ah, now we're doing jokes. All right, we move on. Joke number four. Not the time or the arrow, my friend, to be doing jokes. But I agree We're with jokes. you. Kobayashi should be on top of every athlete hero list, American or Japanese. Of course, I love the man. Joke number four. Keep going. One of the great athletes of our time. Number four. It's Kobayashi and Team Number four. You know, if the guy from the Texans, when he was talking about the Sean Watson, just had Ari around just to play a transition number, you, you really can get saved on a lot of stuff. When you just sure. keep going on and on. And yet, you don't learn your lesson. So we're still on number five, and I can't get the number four. No, well, okay. Kobayashi and Teen Wolf, I think, are the two greatest athletes of my generation. Number four. Can we just do number four, please? Uh, Did you see the magical moment? And it's magical for many reasons. Was it Siwoo Kim and Charles Schwartzel? Who couldn't shake hands? Who couldn't shake hands? Yes, we haven't done it for a while, Steve. I thought, there was a, I, I thought there was a hand grab of a finger, and that was the handshake. It happens. Yeah. Listen, well, we're, we're, all, we're all out of practice. But here's, but here's the thing. Well, we've talked about this many times. We both hate the handshake. It's of awkward. Course. You never know the power uh, coming back. Uh, there, sometimes it's too, it, the handshake's too long. They just hold it forever. Other times you just get a dead fish in your hand and i thought one of the only good things coming out of the pandemic was no more handshaking yeah what are these guys doing what are you doing it was listen i i know what i know what's going on here because i've gone through it i I think i told this story that um about two years ago i think it was just before the pandemic uh i had seen dana white out in public and i went like he was walking toward me i went to shake his hand because it's a professional relationship, not like, you know, friendship thing, whatever. I went to shake his hand, and he went for the fist bump, and I grabbed his, like, his fist. That's awesome. Which is ridiculous. Sign but of dominance it, on your part. Sure. 
uh, in this case, were you what's able to, happening? Were, were you able to crush his? Were you able to crush his hand a little bit with the fist? No, because I was so like freaked out that it was that it was happening that I was like, ah, like what what just happened? Which I think is what happens here, as the, the as they approach each other, one is going fist bump and one is going handshake. Oh no! And then they they both go to adjust. Right. But now, but now they're Ill, they're still one and one. It's just the opposite guy. And then they just their hands just start kind of like, uh, what what are we doing here? And they never they could never just get it straight. They couldn't figure it out. But I think also uh, the problem is that one of them goes in to touch their hair first. Oh really? And you're and like and then you're like uh, now I, uh, what's going on here? Like he was brushing his hair off the side. It's it's a it's a weird dynamic. But clearly they just didn't know if they were going shake or fist bump. I feel like we should, that's why I think as a society, as, as you reference, like we need to decide one thing. I think it's fist bump. I think we're all just going to fist bump from now on. No more handshakes. Don't ever reach your hand fully extended. Right. Just pound it out. Are right, you're uh, the show's eternal lockdowner. Are you anti fist bump as well? I mean, I was going to say we could just get rid of it all. Simple head nod. I'm actually, uh, you know what? I'll be honest. I'm, I'm in, conversation, in conversation, I'm all for six foot distancing continuing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And like he, like Adam just said, if you are friends with someone or have a professional relationship, that's different. But yeah, I'm, all that chummy stuff and the, the extra, we've we've discussed this. Yeah. Yes, we have. That's yeah. why I was so funny to see a guy shaking a finger. It's not. It's not necessary. But it's, it, that, that's not. just the the point. I will say though, if if I had to choose one or the other, absolutely dap, no question, fist bump, dap, whatever. Number three. <laughs> now, Adam's all gun shy after getting number four dropped on him like seventeen times. I don't know what to do. If we have replay, and the overturn is clear, how do we still blow the call? Uh, this right. is Phillies Braves. What is this? Didi pops that one into the opposite field. Ozuna's got it. Bum's going to try it. Here he comes, and he's safe on the play. Series of, of replays. I mean, if that played as a U.S. map, he was barely trying to touch San Diego with just a little tip. I mean. And then after the call is upheld, great reaction there. Oh, not so great there. The emotions guys, of the game. As the umpire, home plate umpire is returning to his spot, Will Smith was yelling at him, awful. It was awful. Uh, awful. The replay it, the replay was clear, and I don't want to hear about real time. We don't need real time. All right, it's a hard call. Overturn it. They got the correction. The catcher did a beautiful job of just freaking, like, almost swinging bomb the runner around his body. He never touched the plate. It's clear. Make the right call. You have replay. Obvious. Now, I did think in watching this that I was being biased and saying it was clearly out because I have Will Smith on fantasy on a fantasy roster and wanted to make sure he didn't give up that run. Uh, but I think everybody agrees with me on this one that it clearly was out. And the, the problem, you just mentioned something and kind of glossed over it, but it is the problem. Yes, these calls are very, very, very difficult to make in real time. They are. So guess what? Don't let them t- carry that much weight. 
Like we we assign so much weight to the call in real time that it has to be like one million percent obvious to overturn it. So if we take a little bit of, of weight off because it's so hard to make that call in real time, so don't weight it as much and just say, hey, listen, the preponderance of the evidence, to use a legal term, shows that he's out. So he's out. It doesn't have to be a billion percent to overturn it because the call is so hard to make in real time. So why are we making it so hard to overturn a call that's so hard to make? Let them call the game from the from the replay, especially if it costs you a challenge to make that happen. If it's going to cost me a penalty to challenge something, you need to open the door to possibly change it, not put impossible standards on changing. Number two. Now, that was a good play-by-play call. This one may be a top five play-by-play call of all time, especially since it captured an all-time <laughs> moment. Let's go straight to the bowling alley. Right through the face, leaving the 7-10. The 7-10 only been made on television three times in the history of professional bowling on TV. Come on, kid, do it. Spare the game. Brought to you by. If you believe it, you can do it. Great. Believe you will. I believe the ginger assassin can drop the seven ten. Oh man! <laughs> I feel bad. You know the Bass Sound Crew is very much polices the free mentions of sponsors on the airwaves. Thanks to uh, ESPN for the call there. Um, that that sponsor pop was so seamless. I. I I kind of feel bad the Bass Sound crew uh, pulled it out. But, yeah, the, the excitement. I, I think that was a two-man booth. And whoever Randy is, can we play the beginning of it? Like, Randy was coming in kind of low on the, like, the enormity of what just happened. And then the other guy just jumps in. He's like, let's go! <laughs> right through the face, leaving the 7-10. The 7-10 only been made on television three times in the history of professional bowling on TV. Come on, kid, do it. The ginger assassin just dropped the ginger assassin that's a nickname and let me tell you folks whatever you think the bowling ginger assassin looks like think about it right now you're right yep you nailed it well, he looked like a bowler, didn't he? Uh, yeah, I don't think there's any question. This bright, like kind of splotchy-looking shirt, all mushy in the belly. Uh, I think he got a little plumber's crack when he actually threw the ball. Just the, the whole picture for bowling. Good redheaded Napoleon Dynamite, almost. Yes. <laughs> it's just a disaster. That was Good a great for call. him. Though. Good yeah. for him. I, I knew that, I mean, obviously, you know, the 710 split is hard. It's, you know, referenced all the time as the hardest shot in bowling, one of the hardest things to do in all sports. I didn't know it was that hard. I know we go 30 years without somebody getting it. It's crazy. What's harder that's been done in sports? 
I mean, let's That's not be fair. ridiculous. Hey, well, you know, you know, it's not often someone hits a 700 foot home run. Yeah, they never do. Okay, so let, yeah. like something that's actually someone's actually accomplished, but it almost never happens. Four times in history, they said. First time in 30 years. That's crazy. I, I don't even like a, a hole in one on a par four. Ooh, that could be that's because it's doable now. Yeah, that's a good selection. Yeah, what else is harder than a seven ten split? You got four in TV history. I mean, obviously more than four have been have been converted right. in yeah, a tournament, but uh, but on on the televised portion, only four. Do you think history. it happens? How many bowling alleys are in America? Like a thousand? A thousand in America? Yeah. You want to you want to figure that out again, math whiz? I think there's a thousand. There I think there's like a thousand in Vegas. Not lanes, alleys. In in uh, in Vegas, there's got to be what fifteen. So there's more than a thousand Adam. But uh, but how yeah, many, how many bowling out? Okay, it's thirty four hundred. That's it. In all of America, is only thirty four hundred. Yeah. Oh, thirty four hundred. Wow. We are we um, are like one of the bowling capitals of the world. We have so many freaking sure. alleys. So in the thirty four hundred bowling alleys in in America, does it happen? It does it happen once a day? Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. I would think so. By the way, Carvelli just chimed in with the unassisted triple play. Baseball. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, it's pretty rare. Uh, uh, quadruple double in the NBA five total. Wow. Okay. It's pretty good. That's close. All right. We'll come up with a list. <laughs> it's similar. I like that one. Number one. So we talked to Barry Melrose earlier. Yeah, he was very good. Uh, that was around 4.15. If you missed it, lvsportsnetwork.com, our brand new redesigned site. It's awesome. Smooth. Real nice. Real nice. Check it out. It's also uh, sweet when you use the phone app. It's lvsportsnetwork.com. So uh, Barry was talking about some of the powers that added significant pieces. Obviously, VGK was not one of them. What did, what did the Golden Knights do today, especially in relation to Toronto, Tampa, Boston, even the abs. Well, they didn't make a splash. And the teams that you mentioned all made kind of splashy uh, acquisitions. Uh, that's not what the Golden Knights did. They chose to go, and I would say chose to go. Uh, they were kind of forced to go because they didn't have much cap space. They weren't able to go out and make a splashy move unless they wanted to potentially trade uh, like a Marc-Andre Fleury, which we've been told by ownership is not going to happen. Bill Foley has said Marc-Andre Fleury is here as long as he wants to be here. Uh, so either he's telling the truth on that and then they're never going to trade Fleury, uh, or um, you know they just didn't find the right trading partner and didn't decided not to part ways with him. But, I mean, that would have been a good way. They, they could have done little things like perhaps trading you know, Nick Holden's contract, something like that, to clear, clear a little bit of space to get a guy on the roster. But, uh, you know, Fleury would have been the big one, I think. They could have opened up a lot of cap space, could have enabled them to do uh, a lot, have a lot of versatility uh, at the deadline and really make a splashy move. They chose not to. Uh, instead, uh, Matthias Janmark from Chicago, uh, he was on Dallas last year. Uh, having a breakout season probably isn't fair, but having a good offensive season, uh, some of the analytic numbers not great necessarily on him. But what he does bring is a lot of speed. Uh, he's a very fast player. 
that is something the Golden Knights have really uh, kind of accentuated. They've really liked guys with a lot of speed that they could bring in. You remember bringing Chandler Stevenson in, who's incredibly fast, and added that dimension to the Golden Knights. I think uh, they're going to let him play a little bit free and really take advantage of that speed. And I'm interested to see what line he plays on. I know they talked about you know not wanting Tomas Nosek back on the fourth line because he's been so productive. They may be looking ways to get him up, not down the lineup. Uh, that's an interest, interesting thing to watch. Uh, you know, we'll see what they uh, figure out how to do, what they decide to do uh, in terms of that lineup. But uh, definitely gives them some opportunity to uh, be a little bit creative. We know Chandler Stevenson and his speed, as I said. Uh, but yeah, this is a a very under the radar, probably not splashy, probably not changing the complexion of your season much, but definitely adds some depth uh, to the to the forward lines. And you know they would hope maybe jumpstart some things and uh, and get some things going for those guys. On the way back, we'll tell you what Toronto and Tampa and Boston did for the trade deadline. We'll also get you an update on the uh, condition of Ryan Reeves. The Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Have something to say? Tweet at Steve Cofield or call 702-364-1100 now. You're listening to Cofield and Company. Live from the Finley Toyota Studio. Adam Hill, what's the latest with Ryan Reeves? Looks like, you know, we get a lot of information on the Golden Knights injury, Steve. I know you know that. It's uh, one of our favorite things here on the show. Uh, it looks like he will miss time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Dripping the podcast at the beginning, and then the end is uh, we have no idea. Yeah, he uh, he didn't make the trip to L.A. tonight. Neither did Keegan Colasar, by the way. Um, and I, I bring that one up because apparently the status is that Ryan Reeves will miss more time than Keegan Colasar. So that's what we know about the injuries right now, uh, that – you know, not a whole lot being uh, the case there. Uh, Keegan Colesar, we saw kind of take a hit, or actually he was trying to deliver a hit, and uh, looked like he hurt his leg uh, on that trip or on the uh, on that play yesterday in the second period. I think it was his first shift of the second period. Ryan Reeves was like the last five minutes of the game he wasn't out there, uh, and it wasn't clear if it was just because they were using a different rotation or if it was because he got hurt. Apparently it is because he got hurt. Uh, the quote exactly uh, from... Uh, Kelly McCrimmon today was Ryan Reeves will be a little bit longer term than Keegan Colasar will be. So that's, that's the status that we have uh, with them right now. Uh, so not sure exactly how long that's going to be. Uh, they also are going to make a determination about kind of the uh, long-term viability at the NHL level right now of Cody Glass and uh, decide what to do with him the rest of the season. And, uh, a lot of issues going on with the Golden Knights. According to Pete DeBoer, he said there are additional game time decisions tonight for the team to make against the Kings. Uh, Reeves and Kolasar didn't make the trip. Uh, Janmark is not with the team yet. Uh, so we'll see what they do. I feel like this is headed toward another, you know, Vegas Golden Knights playing shorthanded type situation uh, in L.A. tonight against the Kings. But uh, we will find out when they uh, when they drop the puck later on. Uh just a uh, you know another day at the office for the Golden Knights trying to deal with things. I saw a quote from Pete DeBoer, sorry, that said uh, the plan right now is for Jan Mark to play on the third line with Noshik and Tuck. But his quote on this was, "We make plans and then God laughs." <laughs> okay. So the Knights tweak 
instead of making a blockbuster deal. I saw Emily, Emily Kaplan earlier in the day with a tweet that said uh, the Knights were in on Hall. Did you hear that? And that that's uh, that, that ain't tweaking. No, no. I mean that was that was what they were looking at. But I think uh, I think a couple things um, that happened with that is that they were kicking the tires trying to figure out what it would do. And as we said earlier, uh, there was a lot of maneuvering between teams of trying to like ship cap space off to other places uh, and to try to you know see what kind of room they could create. The Golden Knights were going to have to do something probably somewhat drastic uh, in terms of making a deal to clear out enough space to bring Taylor Hall in. And for those that don't know, Taylor Hall, former former number one overall pick, a ton of talent, ton of expectation, uh, just has done almost nothing this season. He's just been awful uh, in terms of production. But again, he was playing with a pretty awful team. Uh, in Buffalo. So he goes to Boston. You would expect to be rejuvenated. If he would have gone to the Golden Knights, you would expect the same thing, that he could have tapped into some of that talent. Um, two goals in 37 games this season uh, for Taylor Hall. So uh, change of scenery probably helps him there. But, yeah, I think the Golden Knights probably either found out that Taylor Hall just wanted to go to Boston and just wanted uh, to be there and be a part of that organization and work out a deal with them, uh, or they just decided that they were going to have to give up too much in terms of cap space and personnel and assets, uh, future assets to make that happen. But for whatever reason, uh, they did settle on a much more under-the-radar type move. What did you think about that Cofield and Company take? Tweet at Steve Cofield or call 702-364-1100 now. It's Cofield and Company, live from the Finley Toyota Studio. So we've got our brand-new draft contest that just dropped today on LVSportsNetwork.com. It's our uh, draft for Doe. It's brought to you by Nova Home Loans, a $1,000 first prize, plus another two fifty in gift cards with the uh, Raider Image Store. You go up to LVSportsNetwork.com. We're going to make you guess at the first 17 picks. The rules are all up there, and whoever gets the uh, most picks correct in terms of team and player, you win. All presented by... Nova Home Loans, make sure you call up our friends at Nova Home Loans, 877-700-NOVA. Get that mortgage tuned up. But, yeah, 1000 bucks in cash, 250 for a Raiders Image Store gift card. That's pretty freaking cool. And you can enter up until next Wednesday, the day before the first round of the draft, 877-700-NOVA is the phone number and uh, the address. The most important thing here, the address, lvsportsnetwork.com is the address. So, Adam, you weren't able to go around uh, Mark Bedane and Bill Hornbuckle this weekend, but Hornbuckle from the MGM uh, spoke to the media about uh, an outlook for the stadium attendance come the fall, maybe uh, even ramping things up a lot sooner during the summer. Down at the hotels, you know, on a weekend we're going to run ninety percent, uh, midweek around sixty, and as we go through uh, May and June, I think we're going to see that continue to climb. Uh, there's a massive amount of pent up demand that I think will come. I don't think I know is coming. Um, and sports is a huge part of that reason. Um, you know, last night I was at uh, the, the hockey game, 3,900 fans. Um, I know this fall we're going to have a full stadium for the Raiders. And so, you know, huge part of the community, huge part of our future is sports and the whole idea of it. And so, um, you know, doing our part to make sure we can fill these venues is you know, we'll do everything we can. All right. Makes sense, Adam. What do you think? What have you heard? Full stadium, September, maybe even August. Yeah, that, that's the goal. Um and, and I think July is a very important month for this, and, and we can get into that. But, um, yeah, I think a lot of people reacted to this as saying, 
that he's going to make this happen. And there is more that we'll hear here in a second. But um, this is just this is just him being optimistic is really what this is. Now, he also knows a lot more behind the scenes that he's not really discussing. But uh, this is their opt- optimism showing here. And part of that is uh, because I, I did see a lot of feedback and I actually got a lot of emails from people that are like, what does MGM have to do with the Raiders? Like, they don't own the stadium. That's not part of them. What is going on? Well, MGM also obviously wants the Raiders to be full so that people are coming to the stadium and coming on vacation and traveling and, and being here. So this this is just his optimism that this is going to happen and it's something that they're working toward. But MGM does have ties with T-Mobile Arena, and there's definitely reasons that they want T-Mobile to be more and more full. Just to follow up on what you said there, full stadium, um, when will we hear that type of announcement officially made? You know, I, the governor is working on it. Um, I think very soon we're going to begin to see the, hopefully the next stage. You know, we're all watching, obviously, uh, what happens in the community in terms of infection rates and ultimately what happens in the ICU ward. Um, but all that being said, trending in the right direction. We've been under 5% now for the last uh, couple of weeks. And so, um, you know, I think we're getting there. Um, I think it'll be a couple more stages, but I'm hoping by July 4th weekend, the community <laughs> is in a place where we can just do what we do uh, normally and, and have some fun. Why'd you laugh at July 4th weekend? Well, obviously, obviously MGM would love everything to be full July 4th weekend. Uh, because they that, that's a huge weekend for tourism, and it'll be great. But think about this. Th- that week is a massive week in terms of venues, especially for MGM. So, yes, July 10th is Garth Brooks at Allegiant Stadium. It would be nice if that was full. A lot of people would be flying in and traveling, and that'd be great. July 4th week would be the Stanley Cup final at T-Mobile Arena, and Conor McGregor at T-Mobile Arena the next Saturday. Wow. So what, what they're basically saying here, what Horbuckle is saying is, we are shooting for July 4th. We're going to be pushing the governor to make it July 4th for everything to be open 100%. Because we at our arena could potentially have like four, five really massive events that week that really could use full attendance. Here's Mark Bedane. Uh, Heidi Fang from the RJ is uh, asking these questions. Here's uh, Bedane with the Raiders. Just a bit ago, Bill Hornbuckle said that they're hoping to have Allegiant Stadium back at full capacity for the Raiders 2021 season. Have you heard anything about that? Uh, it's certainly the hope. Uh, we'll we'll listen to the authorities on that and the, the medical community. Uh, obviously, everybody wants to get back to live events, both in Las Vegas and, and around the world. And as soon as we're given the go-ahead, uh, our plan is to hopefully open the place up and, and pack it and bring people to town and have it be the economic stimulus that everybody thought it was going to be. That would have been a blockbuster, right? If Bedane was like, "What? <laughs> let me go find him." So, so let, let, let's so let's go back. Sorry, I stepped on you. Let's go back to what you were just saying because I saw the same stuff. There are Raiders fans outside of the market who don't understand what Las Vegas is. If Bill Hornbuckle's talking about it, Mark Bedane knows about it. Uh, but that notion that what, the MGM—they don't own the building. What do they have to do with this? Are you insane? <laughs> Everything in the city revolves around what goes down on the strip and with those companies. And I, I like it was a it was actually a comment of Vinny that I saw over the weekend, and I wanted to chime in and be like, "Dummy!" On the you know, what does the MGM have to do with it? We, meaning mostly them, the. Strip Corridor gave the Raiders $750 million to build the stadium. If they didn't 
rubber stamp that, there is no $750 million. True. Okay? That's it. The casino industry has a say in everything. That's Las Vegas. The NFL's big, but it ain't bigger than the Strip. And also, you, when you said, like, oh, if, if Hornbuckle's saying it, Bidet knows about it. If Hornbuckle's saying it, he's talked to Sisolak about it. Right. Like, this, these things aren't just thrown out there willy-nilly. And again, everybody understands. I'm, I'm not looking at myself of, of like, wow, what a what great investigator. You figured out that July 4th week has all these major events. Good job. Like, no, that's obvious. It's yeah. obvious why July 4th is the date that they're targeting. Like, there's, there's no mystery about this. Of course they want July 4th to be full. Again, everybody's going to be traveling here. They want that to happen. They want 100% capacity at hotels and restaurants and everywhere else. But also, like we said, if the Knights reach the Stanley Cup final, that's like one of the biggest sports and event weekends in the history of Las Vegas. If the Stanley Cup final, not played in June like it was last time, is played around the 4th of July with a Garth Brooks concert at Allegiant Stadium and Conor McGregor fighting the same week? That's insanity. The Cofield and Company crew is back tonight at 1030. It's John Von Tobel and Adam Hill with their Smarter Than You podcast. Watch at Steve Cofield on Twitter or on YouTube. Cofield and Company presents Grab Bag, only on ESPN Las Vegas. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Interesting updates on a couple of uh, legendary NFL running backs. We'll start with Eddie George taking over the football program at Tennessee State. But I think what got the most headlines is that one of his advisors and putting together a coaching staff is Jeff Fisher. So let the jokes commence. Is that Jeff Fisher's legacy now? Six and six if he's going to college. Eight and eight in the pros, six and six in college. Actually, it, it, here's what I'll say. Yes, and I'll tell you why. Because we had we had the Giants reporter on earlier. Uh, Jordan, Jordan Rant was on. And uh, Jeff Fisher's name came up at some point. Or no, sorry. Jeff Fisher's name didn't come up. But what he was saying is you could, you could be eight and nine or nine and eight now. You can be eight and nine and be a losing team or nine and eight. And I was like, man, this would suck for Jeff Fisher what would he do? Maybe he would just sit out a game and finish 8-8. Eight and eight. That was what I was thinking in my mind. Like, the 17-game schedule means no more 8-8. Eight and eight. So what would Jeff Fisher do? And so as stupid as that is and as, as nonsensical of, a, of, of a, a thing to think, that is legitimately what I thought when we were talking about a 17-game schedule. You know, he did – still going on Fisher. He did win a Super Bowl as a player. He was a runner-up in a Super Bowl as the head coach. Well, his record for his career is 173 and 165. Ah, damn it. <laughs> he was 5-6 and six in total in the playoffs. Which, Probably. by the way, it is pretty amazing that uh, the guy coached for like 21 or 22 years. He made the playoffs six times. And I was going to build a case that his legacy shouldn't be the stupid 8-8 eight and eight mark, but uh, it kind of is. If you go through his year-by-year records, it's like 8-8, eight 8-8, eight, 8-8, eight eight, 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 8 7-9, 9-7, 8-8, 8-8, 8-8, 8-8, 8-8, 8-8, 8-8, 8-8, 8-8, 8-8, 8-8, 8-8, 8-8, 8-8, 8-8, 8-8, 8-8, 8-8, 
and, and he's really – it's not even that close to it. He, it. As you said, he's an over 500 coach for his career, yeah. almost 500 in the playoffs, although they're very – both those numbers are very close to 500. Uh, almost almost won a Super Bowl, came – almost – I think you could say he came as close to anyone without actually winning it. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, but, that's the legacy. Ten of, ten, of his, ten of his 21 years as a head coach were 8-8 eight and eight or 7-9. Of course they were. Well, no, I'll throw in there was a there was a seven eight and one that I rolled in there as well. That's eight and eight. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Another former running back, Herschel Walker. Is he going to coach a football team? Well, not unless they have a Senate team that he's going to coach. He is he is running for senator. Stick to sports, Herschel. Stinks. No, I'm, I'm he sure can, all the he can, he, can do, he can do anything he wants. He's a legendary figure. I know he has concerns and thoughts. Like Senate, Senate, or Georgia Senate? Senate, Senate. Wow. Okay. He's running. He's running against Raphael Warnock, who uh, who just won uh, down in Georgia. So yeah, it, this is <laughs> this is. I mean, more power to him. Good luck. I, I guess. I mean, if you if your Twitter feed counts. He should be probably disqualified. No, um, I was, I was just gonna say, uh, tweeting about politics is a lot different than actually running for office and serving in office. But is it? I mean, I, no. I feel like there's there's a good ten to fifteen national figures. I don't know if they ever actually serve office. They just tweet all day. Yeah, and Herschel Walker is is, I would say borderline. Well, based on my reading of his tweets. I've learned a lot from Justin Watkins here. Based on my readings of his tweets, he is borderline Q. I don't think, as I said, I don't think those people should be allowed to run for office. We need, we don't. If you can't, if you want to run, run fine. They shouldn't be elected. I would hope nobody would vote for him. Like once, once you've gone down that path, you're done. Uh, but wait, I'm not. I'm not. You said he's borderline Q. I'm not familiar. Is he? Baruch, the whatever person, is he Shadow Dweller 17? That Q documentary on HBO is one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. Have you gotten through it all the way? I, I stopped after like two episodes. I'm going to go back and watch it, but I, I couldn't take it. It was it was so stupid. I'm like, these are the people they're talking to are just some of the weirdest folks I've ever seen. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I guess a half spoiler, but not a full spoiler for everybody who hasn't watched it. If you want to watch the documentary, I highly suggest it. I thought it was amazing. Uh, it's not all about Q. It actually goes into like a lot of like family dramas and like weird business dramas and foreign countries. It's a, it's a very, very weird documentary, but I loved it. I watched it all in one night. Uh, but as a half spoiler, they do come to a conclusion. Yeah, they do. Like where it started. So, you know, if you are if you've wondered about it, watch it. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Why are all these old boxers coming back? What happened to the days of the commission stepping up and going, you know, you're 48, you're 52, you're 54. Boxing's dangerous, we can't license you. So now Evander Holyfield is going to come back? He is. But here's the Why? thing, Steve. I I said it. I didn't think that Floyd Mayweather should be sanctioned against Conor McGregor. I mean, the other way around. I didn't think they should have sanctioned that fight. And once you do it, and once it's Nevada that does it, as a uh, 
you know, as kind of the, the commission that everyone looks to, I think that was the beginning of the end for any kind of regulation. Like, they're just letting anything go. Why are, why are professional basketball players sanctioned to fight? Why are, you know, the, the Ben Askren has never boxed a round in his career. He got sanctioned to fight eight rounds against a YouTube star, which why is he sanctioned? I, I, I have no idea uh, any of this stuff. Um, it's crazy. But like I said, Nevada is the gold standard. And once they licensed a freak show, which it was, they opened the door for all these other podunk jurisdictions to just be like, all right, they're going to sanction that. We can sanction whatever we want. Not that this wasn't happening before, but it is reaching a ridiculous level now. And it's 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 silly, but this is where we are. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Can we be done with this today? Edelman and Hall of Fame. This is the one show we do it, right? We did it we did it with two different guests. We talked about it on our own. Julian Edelman's retiring. He's thirty five years old. He's a key member of multiple championship teams. The Brady Belichick dynasty. He's a three time Super Bowl champ. He was a Super Bowl MVP in two thousand eighteen. His regular season numbers, 620 catches, 6,800 yards, 41 touchdowns. He is second all-time in yardage in the playoffs with 1,442. He scored five touchdowns in all those playoff games, 19 games. I really don't see the discussion that he's a Hall of Famer, but uh, you were saying, you know, in a promotional effort, one of the sports books actually put up a yes-no Edelman Hall of Fame. Right, and this is silly because obviously you wouldn't bet it. Uh, you'd have five years to wait if he did make it as a first ballot Hall of Famer, a lot longer if it was down the road. And then if you bet the no, you could be waiting forever. You'd be waiting like 50, 60, 70 years for it to be a no. The no uh, is what? Officially. Let me guess. Minus 300? Minus 130. Minus 130? I would love to bet it. I would love to. It's not bettable. I would love to bet it. Did you actually Did you look at Edelman's career path? Because uh, I, I completely forgot that he really didn't play until like his sixth year in the NFL, fifth year in the NFL when he was 27 years old, had six years, and then last year was dinged up. In the six years, he had three years where he had 1,000 yards, uh, another year where he had like 800, another year where he had like 650. He essentially played six years at receiver and then was a very good return man. Sure, and I still believe he's coming back anyway, so this is a, a moot point. Do? Yeah, he'll play. He'll play. It's a moot point, up. but he's not a Hall of Famer. Tennessee, maybe? Tampa? Possibly Tampa? Tampa got Giovanni Bernard today, by the way. This side note. Giovanni Bernard, what was the money? Do you have it? I didn't see it. No. If Bernard is getting half the money of Kenyon Drake, what do you think? <laughs> Seriously, for the Joker position. He's probably getting way less than that. Wow. All right. Uh, check out the archives of the show, lbsportsnetwork.com. Adam and JBT are back tonight at Steve Cofield at ESPN Las Vegas at LB Sports Network with their podcast live. Again, it's at 1030 Smarter Than You.